Hello there and welcome to Tea and Talk After Dark. Before we get started, I would like to acknowledge the Bedigal, Gadigal and Ngunnawal people whose land UNSW resides on. I pay my respect to Elders past and present and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people watching or listening along with us today. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So Tea and Talk is a special edition of our usual podcast where we get into those not safe for work topics. In this episode, we'll be exploring the bitter, the sweet, and all the flavours in between of sex in a pandemic and building our sexual self-confidence. Instead of tea, grab a glass of wine or a late-night beverage of your choice, get cosy, and let's chat. My name is Sarah. I'm a final year arts law student and Wellness Warriors volunteer lead. My pronouns are she, her, and in my cup today, I just have water, unfortunately. But today I'm joined by Georgia Grace. So please go ahead and tell us a bit about yourself, your pronouns, and what's in your cup today. Sure. So my name's Georgia. Um, I my pronouns are she and her. I live and work on Gadigal land, and I also pay my respects to traditional custodians. Um, and I have a booby mug, and I love it. Also, all I have is water, but mine's sparkling. <laughs> I just thought I had to like add a bit of spice to it, but yes, that is all that's in my cup, and. I mean, gosh, a bit about me. I always find that question so hard to answer um, because I feel like it's always changing with all this time in, of introspection in being locked down. Um, but I'm a sex coach. So I guess basically what that means is I work with individuals, couples and groups, and I support people in having more fulfilling, better relationships with their own bodies or with other people too and I really love my job I love working with a range of people I work in many different ways so yes I do work in session but I also work in advisory roles for Normal which is an incredible sexual wellness brand um, I'm a writer. I write a lot of content um, and I, when I can, and I'm not restricted, restricted to these lockdowns, I run events too. Um, haven't done one of them in a while. So yeah, I guess that's me. That's me today. <laughs> that's awesome. And in another life, I'm sure we're drinking margaritas and espresso mm -hmm. martinis, but our water works for today. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so we're really excited to have you here today to get into the nitty gritty of sex in the pandemic and how it's flipped our lives upside down. So to start us off, I want to talk about those young people who are single and really missing sex or relationships or just getting to go out and meet people. Is this something common that you're working with your clients at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I'm hearing this so often. Um, it's really a, a tricky time for people who are single and perhaps um, don't want to be. So, of course, there are people who are single by choice. That is, you know, how they are living their life. And we need to absolutely celebrate that. And I unfortunately think we live in a society and a culture that sees that as being less than. But there are so many singles out there who are loving it they're they're spending their time in the way that they want they're doing anything they want they're engaging with friends I think the thing that um, maybe a lot of people are missing are the opportunities that they may typically have had to have sex with other people or to go on dates with people um, so I guess for the people who are single by choice um, there are of course certain challenges but um, it's you know not all bad for them um, but then there are of course people who are really wanting a relationship and they've identified that 
this has been a really tricky time and they feel like it's put a pause or a halt to many plans that they've had for their life in thinking by this certain age I'll be here and I'll be doing this um so yeah it can be tricky as well as them also just really wanting forms of human connection I think for people who have been living on their own they've been um, missing that that touch and that comfort that can come from the co-regulation of a cuddle um, or a kiss. So yeah, there, there have certainly been challenges amongst people and I'm noticing it in session um, when I'm working with my clients. And I'm also noticing it in the you know many conversations I have daily um, online because people are very open and honest um, over at my Instagram. It's a great space for information. Um, so yeah, there, there are dynamic challenges for people who are single at this time. Yeah, the pandemic's definitely making it hard to get those cuddles and that casual contact. Um, yeah. So what tips do you have for people that are single and they're looking for something more at the moment? How can they make sure that they're satisfied and enjoying themselves in our current situation? Mm. So I think one key thing that when I've been working with people, we're really intending just to take the pressure off, as tricky as that can feel, just taking that pressure off of needing to be at a certain place, to be in a, a relationship stage, and just kind of allow for whatever is going on now to be, you know, that's what's happening right now. So instead of trying to um, feel like you have to control uh, everything um, and to control your relationship status or to have a sense of control over life, which absolutely none of us have. Um, that is, I guess, an initial step. I also recognise that that is way more tricky and hard than just saying it as it is and that's why people seek professional support or that's why people speak to a trusted loved one because um, th these aren't things that just happen overnight and someone telling you to just you know relax release into it or relinquish control that I mean that can be really really hard so that's why professional support is there but then for I guess those who are feeling the buzz and feeling the energy and still wanting to date, you can get certainly creative with the things that you're doing, whether you're using dating apps or re-sparking an old flame. You know, we, of course, depending on, on where you are and the certain restrictions, there are ways to be creative and safe at the same time, whether that is doing dating video calls. Um, and when I speak to people about this, I find that they're often like, oh, no, that's too awkward. I can't cannot do a, a first date on a video call but first dates are awkward they're always going to be awkward there's always going to be that moment where you know you don't know whether you're hugging or you're side kissing or you're handshaking um so I guess you don't even have to figure that out when it's on a video call um so you can get creative uh, whether you are with the state that you're in whether you can go for walks um maybe there's flirty texts that are being sent just finding ways to connect with other people um, so that you can really um, enhance those skills because dating and flirting is of course a skill and sometimes it takes a bit of practice. Um, then I would also say really uh, figure out what is great about being single for you right now because I can tell you I am working with people who are in relationships too and they are having struggles. They are so over being with this same person all the time. They want some freedom. They are, you know, frustrated about everything. So, um, yeah, what 
figuring out what are the benefits of being single right now and how can you really celebrate and enjoy that. And then I guess the final piece is finding ways to get that human connection, that co-regulation. So whether that is drawing on an incredible social circle, speaking with people you love and trust, finding ways to get hugs if it is, you know, safe, COVID safe and all of that. Um, but yeah, just making sure that you are still um, engaging with others so that you have that humanness. It's nice to know that single people and people in relationships alike are still having struggles, that it's not just us alone out there. Of course. I think that, yeah, it's always, it's the classic grass is greener, you know, as soon as <laughs> I'm, I'm working with lots of people who are in relationships and they're like, oh, I just miss those days when I was single and free and flirting and dating and um, doing whatever I wanted. So, I mean, I know that single people can't necessarily do all of that at the moment, but yeah, of course, there's always challenges. And I think that's just such a part of being human. Now, particularly in this pandemic, one of the things that people might be turning to is ethical porn. So if Mm -hmm. we're talking about ethical porn, What is that? Um, How does it differ from traditional porn? And would you recommend it to people? Mm, So I guess the the term ethical porn is pretty tricky to define because there are many different ways that we can understand this. But I guess when I'm looking at ethical porn... Hopefully that doesn't come through. It probably will come through in the recording. Just got a call. That's all right. So ethical porn is uh, essentially a a broad term that looks at um, how porn is produced and consumed. So from beginning to end, um, the beginning, looking at the production, looking at um, how fairly actors are treated, the consent involved on set, um, how they're paid, then looking at how it's consumed by others and, you know, the ways in which that, um, you know, the whole process of the production is ethical. Um, I, yeah, I guess I, I said it's pretty tricky to define and I think that's because the term is used quite broadly. So I find it's also always really important for the individual to do their research. So, You have to pay for porn if you want it to be ethical, just like anything. Um, And I think that we have, because porn has been free for so long, you know, mainstream porn like Pornhub, um, I never recommend anyone going down that route because there it it is a certain type of porn. It's, you know, not regulated. We don't really, um, we don't know about the working conditions. there is, you know, of course, certain um, things that are, are said about it, but that's why it's really important to engage with ethical porn. So instead of me, I guess, um, giving a recommendation of where to go, this is also a really individual thing. So people will people watch different genres, people are interested in different things. So perhaps it's more useful for the individual to do their own research. So research indie filmmakers, research um, ethical porn production, um, look into how the actors are paid, look into their commitment to consent, um, look into sort of a diversity of bodies and sexualities and sexual expressions to um, really make sure that there is um, a whole range of human experiences depicted. So 
yeah, go go have a bit of do a bit of research into what ethical porn is and also get a sense of what it is that excites you about porn. And I think your question around it, should everyone be doing it or or should we be encouraging people to do it? I mean, when I think there are contexts that um, porn can be great. So porn can be great when you know that it is a performance. It is a performance by actors with a script. It's not meant to be real sex. It's meant to arouse you. It's meant to be a fantasy for you. Um, and it can be useful for people who are perhaps, you know, very clear on that and they're wanting to build arousal and they're wanting to um, view something as they masturbate or they want to watch something with a partner or it could also be a great tool for just dabbling and exploring different parts of your eroticism your sexuality some people absolutely do use porn to learn to educate themselves on different touch techniques um, different positions and whilst it can be inspiring just always remembering that it is a performance um, but yeah there, there are certainly contexts that porn can be useful exciting fun and arousing Anytime you feel that you are depending on porn, it's affecting how you can build arousal in your body, um, how you can regulate arousal in your body, if it's affecting your relationships, if it's stopping you from working, from going and feeling human, then, you know, that sounds like you, it could be useful to get some support with um, your consumption of porn. So it's certainly not for everyone. Never recommend it for anyone who is not an adult because they haven't had the they possibly haven't had the proper sex education not also not a lot of adults had have either um but if you can educate yourself be very clear um and consume it in a mindful way then there's certainly some use in watching ethical porn now you've said you can't necessarily tell us you know where to access it you've said avoid sites like um Pornhub are there any red flags or green flags that we should be looking out for I know you've said looking at payment looking at consent is there anything else that we should be looking out for so that we know okay that suggests that it is ethical porn or that's a massive red flag perhaps I shouldn't be consuming from this site yeah for sure I mean there's so many things so I guess it's um, paying for it, making sure that there is that transaction, there is verbal and nonverbal consent um, in the films, uh, there is diversity in bodies, the real sex is portrayed, um, there's communication, it's ongoing and it's verbal, nonverbal, just like the consent should be. Um, looking up and researching the filmmakers, seeing what they've done in the past, seeing how many awards they've won, because that's the other amazing thing. Like so there are so many great um, filmmakers who are, you know, just incredible. And there are some really beautiful um, films out there, um, making sure that it uh, created for a whole range of um, uh, viewers in um, you know it not just being for the male gaze that it is for you know many different people and perhaps it even goes beyond the the stereotypes that with 30 seconds of penetration that person will be climaxing everywhere because we know that just isn't often the case for people with vulvas that sometimes it takes more time to build arousal so moving beyond the idea that sex is um penetration or sex is just penetration so 
I think there are a few things, but ultimately research. Do your research, look at um, who, who's making it, who it's for. There's, you know, we have the internet. <laughs> I think there's so much that we can access through that. Awesome. Thank you. Hopefully that that will be able to guide some people if that is something that they are looking into exploring. Moving on from ethical porn, I know that another thing that a lot of people would be looking at in this current situation is taking and receiving nudes. So why would that be beneficial to us and our partners if we have partners? And how can we make sure to take them and send them in a safe way? Yeah, I guess there is, again, context to this. So um, sending visual images of your body can be an incredibly sexually empowering thing I mean just the process of taking them of yourself um, but then being witnessed by someone else can be incredibly empowering it can be fun it can be sexy it connect can connect people who are separated by distance or are wanting to try something new so there's many reasons why people do it um I guess the other thing people do it for their jobs as well I mean only fans like sex workers that um the digital form um, is a way to make money for them. So, yeah, many contexts in which it is um, useful, professional, fun, exciting. I think anytime we, we're talking about um, sharing content and sharing content of your own body um, and receiving content is to, um, of course, create consent and one way to do that is to have the conversation so not assuming that someone wants to receive a, a picture um, that can be incredibly violating and sometimes scary to send an image without um, saying yes to it without really wanting to receive it so making sure consent is present it's a it's a sexual experience it's a sexual thing that you engage with so consent is present before during and after um, so you have to talk about it and that could be something like hey, I really want to send you a picture of me. How would you feel about receiving it? And they may be at work or they may be in a space that they can't or they may just not want it. And they might say something like, I can't, I can't receive it right now, but would love to receive something at 5 p.m. tonight or no, I don't want to. And then you drop it at that or yes, I'm so excited by this. So getting really clear, there are just a few, I guess, conversational cues. Then in terms of, um, I guess, checking in after, you could say something like, how was that for you? Would you want to continue doing that? What are we going to do to explore this more? As well as having the conversation around, you know, what happens with this? Do we delete it straight after and, you know, nothing is said? What are we, what boundaries are we going to create? Are we going to put it in a completely different chat um, that is maybe on WhatsApp or something else so that we know that that is for our nudes or that's for our sexy chat and um, we won't send it anywhere else. That's just for that. And to um, know that sending nudes without consent is a violation um, and it, yeah, it, it is an act of non-consensual sexual experience and it is, I actually think, I, I'll need to look up on this so maybe we could include a note in the um in the show notes that it is illegal to do it i think in some state do you know this i'm in in some states in australia i think it does differ between states i'm pretty sure it's kind of gets parceled with 
Um, it's normally the laws are about underage child pornography as well. But mm-hmm. I think in New South Wales and Victoria, for sure, it is illegal to send um, sexual pictures without consent, whether they're pictures of yourself or pictures of someone else. I think it is illegal. Yes. Yeah. And I think in Queensland, too, something was passed. But yeah, it's illegal. So don't do it um, and make sure that you are keeping people really safe. Um, so I guess that's they're the really important things that um, we need to remember um, around um, how to create consent and a really safe experience so that everyone can enjoy it. Then I guess it's the the part around what you can do for yourself to to have fun with it, whether that is um you know creating a setting that feels really great for you whether you choose to um uh, leave out identifying factors like tattoos or your face or a specific part of your body um and playing with certain positions or shapes that you want to get your body in wearing something that feels really great for you whether it is fully nude or slightly suggestive or certain things like that so getting a sense of where or how you feel most sexy um, and having some fun with it. It can be a really essentially empowering and fun do, and you may keep them just for yourself or you may send them to someone else. Um, so yeah, I think there are a few, a few things to keep in mind, but basically consent, of course, present at all times before, during and after talk about it before, during and after, Um, create the context that feels really great for you and decide what it looks like for you and anyone who you're sharing your image with. So we talked about, I mean, consent between the two parties. Is there anything you should be doing to check in on yourself? Like if you're trying this for the first time after you've sent it, is there any feelings you should be looking out for within yourself to make sure that this is something that you are wanting to pursue and keep doing? That's such a great question. And this uh, embodied consent is such an individual thing. So I really believe in the, a moment to pause and to feel. So saying you initially it might feel like a great idea for you and, and you may say, oh, yes, this is really exciting. But also knowing that consent is reversible. You can change your mind at any time. And one really useful way to, to check in with your body is to take a moment to pause and to feel how is my body responding to this? How am I really feeling about this? Is it still a, yes, this is really exciting. This is fun. I feel safe to explore. Is it, uh, hmm, I actually think I need more information and I think I need to talk about the agreements and get really clear on this. Or is it a, actually, no, now that I'm here, I don't want to do this anymore. So knowing that consent is reversible, you can change your mind. Um, taking a moment to pause and to really feel into it is, is such a useful um, thing to do. And once you have made sure that you're feeling into it and it's something that both parties want, how do you actually take a good nude, especially (laughs) for people who might be struggling with sensual confidence? You know, they've decided it's something they want to do, but maybe they look at their picture and they just feel a bit silly. What Mm. do you have any tips for them? So I think sensual confidence is a practice and you know we can look online and see images of bodies and think wow they're so confident but even the most confident person has moments or times or parts of their body that they don't feel great about so I think sensual confidence is a practice that 
we all can be working on and checking in with and seeing what what is it that I need support with to feel even more comfortable or more confident in my body right now? So I guess the great thing with an image is that you use exactly what you want to show. And it's not all about full frontals and it's not all about genitals. So you may decide to include a, a part of your body that you feel really great in. It may include a suggestive or slightly see-through um, nipple or bum. So making sure that you know, you're showcasing something that you really want to and playing around with it, like in certain shapes or positions that, that you're in, you can do it in the mirror. I think many people sort of opt for that as it's a little bit easy, but I'm not, you know, we have these great tripods that you can get the, all the lighting and things like that. Um, so maybe you invest in one of that, one of them for your, um, for any nudes that you want to take. But yeah, I guess acknowledging that, Central confidence is something that a lot of people do um, want or need to work on. It's a really common thing that um, I see in session, but this can also be a key to it. I find that many people who I work with are often really interested in um, exploring taking photos and they feel really empowered after. And then at the end of the day, also recognizing that this isn't the only way to build sexual confidence that taking nudes may be really exciting and fun and cheeky for some but it's you know not everyone's thing so getting curious around what it is that excites you and if it's not photos what is it and just spending some time learning about yourself and in taking those photos and these nudes we've talked about I guess consent and sharing between other people is it all right in building your sensual self-confidence to just be taking the pictures for yourself and to not be sharing them with a partner of course, of course, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> if it's just with yourself, like, and, you know, if you're taking photos for yourself and maybe you're um, deciding where, where or how you store them, um, totally, you know, solo sex is sex. Solo sexual experience are just as valid as anything you do with anyone else. So, yeah, if, you, if you're wanting to explore it or try it out, see how it feels, have a bit of fun, maybe you're bored in lockdown, um, maybe it does feel like it is something for you that would support you in feeling more confident. I think it's always best to try something on your own because then you really learn about yourself and, you know, regardless of whether you're, you're in a relationship, giving it a go on your own body, think, feeling into how it feels for your body, what um, you're curious about, what you need more or less of, um, what you need to make it a really great time what context is going to be best for you always try on yourself and so we've spoken about sensual self-confidence is that the same as sexual self-confidence and if not what's the difference and what is sexual self-confidence I use it interchangeably so I think for me my language in sexual self-confidence and sensual self-confidence it's just a broad term to speak to the idea of feeling confident but people will um, create a distinction and that's totally up to them um, I think when people look at sensual they look at movement they look at the senses sometimes people bring spirituality into that um, and then if they're looking at sexual it may be about the act of sex um, sex with other things that you do um, you know all of that but I mean I don't even create distinctions between you know se sex isn't just these 
20 minutes that you have with someone in bed, your sex life is your thoughts. It's how you feel about your body. It's the daily pleasures that you allow for yourself. It's the way that you communicate your desires. It's the things you think about, you know, it's the issues or concerns that you may have, you know, sex isn't just in a little small box that you visit. Um, so I don't have a distinction between the two. And I think, you know, people can define it, however it means, whatever it means to them. And, you know, some, whoever's listening to this may have picked up a few ideas as to what sensual or self or sex, sexual self-confidence is, but it's such an individual thing. And it's way more useful for you to think about what does it, what does it mean for me? What is it that I need? Um, what is exciting about it and having your own definition of it rather than turning to anyone else's definition. And what can we expect when we find our own sexual self-confidence? Like what does that bring to the table for us? How will it change things? Again, this is such an individual <laughs> thing. I think that it it is way more useful for people to, to think about what that means for them. And maybe it's asking what's getting in the way between me and feeling really confident in my body, in my sexuality, my sensuality, and what, what would that feel like for me? What could that feel like for me? Um, so yeah, I, I perhaps would be way more interested in what the individual thinks about what that means for them rather than me prescribing it for someone else. And is sexual self-confidence, is that something that you need to find by yourself or is that a journey that you and your partner can explore together? Is it equally both? You can do it individually and with a partner? Yeah, I guess it's, I mean, as I said before, it's it's an ongoing thing. So people may turn to professional support and um, have received that guidance, but it's equally as important that, you know, you can go to an hour session, but it's really what you do beyond the session. It's how you actively engage with something that I think is where we really learn about ourselves. Um, it, it's certainly a process. So you're, you may be working with your sensual or sexual self-confidence over years of um, being with different people, of um, exploring your own body, of engaging in different books or um, topics or areas or sexualities. So, yeah, I think it's, it's all-encompassing of everything that you do. Now, this next question is a big question, but how do we know if we're having good sex and if our <laughs> sexual experience is on par with the people around us? Because people often don't talk about it. So how do we know if we should be chasing better experiences or if we should be trying different things or if what we're having is the gold standard? Yeah. Okay. So I think that there's obviously so much to this. We could just speak about this for an hour. Um, how do you know if you're having good sex? that's way more useful to ask yourself. So ask yourself, how was that for me? Do I feel fulfilled? What does fulfilling sex mean to me? And fulfilling sex for some people would be that it felt really connecting or it felt like a great stress relief or we both climaxed at some point um, or it was one way to really connect in with my body and learn about my body. So getting clear on on what fulfilling sex feels for you um, and, and what it is that you need or want for a fulfilling sex life and then checking in with that thinking 
am I receiving that or am I giving and experiencing everything that I define as fulfilling sex? If not, what can I do to have better sex, to have more fulfilling sex with my own body or others? Um, I think it's really dangerous if we compare our sex lives to other people because we are we all have a sexual fingerprint you know we're all completely different and what is someone's yuck is another person's yum um someone's idea of a lot of sex is another person's idea of not a lot and uh, on par with this question how do I know if I'm having a good sex life I often hear things like how often do people have sex? How often should I be having sex? And I never answer that question because I, I don't want to give people the average amount of sex because when, when they want the average, they're often thinking, how often should I be getting naked and having penetrative sex with someone? And that is just one way to have sex. And instead of giving a number, I, I invite people to look at what is it that you need in order to have great fulfilling sexual experiences um, and if that is defining sex as a really wonderful slow passionate kiss awesome that is sex life your sex life and fulfilling sex for you so how often do you want to experience that or if it is a moment of you know connecting in with your body and how often do you need that in order to feel fulfilled so yeah, looking at a broad range of sexual experiences, um, redefining sex from being just penetration and not comparing yourself to other people because we know that com comparing or comparison is just really no way to define a great sexual experience. And it often leaves people feeling like they're not normal. When, if people are looking to maybe redefine how they're thinking about sex and whether it's fulfilling, I know a lot of people may look at porn as the standard and are using those metrics of how many times are we having sex, how many times are people orgasming. Are there any other ways that you would encourage people to, um, I guess, almost evaluate the how sex should be fulfilling in terms of like how it makes you feel or like what should they be looking for in terms of other ways to measure their sex life? Yeah, um, maybe it's like writing a list of things that, you, you know, you could create a criteria, you could have fun with these things. So what is it? How does it feel? What does it look like? Sound like? Um, what do you need or want from other people? What are you curious about exploring, but you're not quite sure what that looks like and you need more information? Um, again, these are all, I, I think people often want to turn to me to give them like a, a full list of things that they can just tick off and say, wonderful, I have a fulfilling sex life. And I think the most important answer to that is you're totally normal. Like you, any question you have is normal. Any concern, lots of other people have concerns around sex too. Um, if something has changed in your body or, or it really is a concern, then go seek professional support. There's a whole range of modalities that can really support you and make sure you're having fulfilling, pain-free, not boring sex. So yeah, make sure you do that. But um, again take some time to to think about you and to take some time to think about what sex is for you and do some research but most importantly explore on your own body because we learn by doing 
And as a bit of a fun way to end, can you tell us something that you're excited about that's happening in this space? I mean, the space is, you know, really having a time. I think sexual wellness is such an incredible industry and we're seeing, you know, with sex tech, it is really booming. Um, So I think it's an incredibly exciting time to be interested in this space. One thing that I'm really excited about is the an online video course that I've created with Normal um, that essentially gives everyone the sex ed they've never received but always wanted. It goes through the fundamentals or the basics of sex. There's 15 different video episodes. There's a whole workbook. We actually cover a lot of the questions that you've asked as well as including a lot of prompts and activities for people. So if you're wanting to explore this on your own or with someone else, there it's a great resource. As well, it's free for university students who are 18 plus. So, I mean, it's literally at your fingertips if you're wanting more information. And I think that excites me because it's really making sex ed accessible to everyone. It's revolutionary and it's what everyone wants right now. That's incredible and something that sounds really important. Um, so where can they find that resource if people are interested in it? Yeah, so go to It's Normal and you will find that on one of the tabs it has the course and you'll, you'll find it there. So, um, yeah, it's great. It's like everything that I've always wanted everyone to know um, and, I th- and maybe we could even include the link in the, the show notes too so that people can access that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Georgia, for tonight's late night episode of TN Talk. And thanks to all of our TN Talkers for listening in as well. We hope you've enjoyed our chat today. And as always, if you have any questions or topics you want us to chat about, you can reach out at arcwellnessunsw on Instagram or email us at wellness at arc.unsw.edu.au. Otherwise, take care, check in on your mates and reach out if you need support. We'll see you next time for another cup of tea. Awesome.